Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series on the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his favorite church. Yes, pastors do have favorite churches, and Pastor Paul absolutely loved the believers at Philippi. In most letters, Paul offered lots of course correction. At Philippi, he offered none. Instead, he spoke to them with great affection about their impact and maturity in Christ. No other book in the Bible has more memorable and life-changing verses than Philippians. In this series, Dr. Benji Kelly leads his favorite church through memorizing these power-packed verses and maturing in Christ. Sounding amazing here. I'm sure it's the same at all of the campuses. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to the fifth installment of our Philippians series. I'm excited and honored to share today in what's really been a great series. Have you guys been enjoying Philippians? It's been a great, just great series. I want to welcome in all of the campuses. Welcome to Garner, Sanford, North Raleigh, Columbia, NCCIW online. A special shout out to my peeps up in the coffee house. All of you here at Central, welcome, welcome, welcome. However you're joining us, we're excited to have you. It's been a great series, hasn't it? I mean, it's just been a lot of meat. Uh, Paul is inviting us to go where few go. And uh, I think if we heed the words and we put them into practice, we will, uh, we'll see what it is that Paul is actually talking about. He, uh, he's been inviting us to reflect. He's been uh, asking or at least challenging us to ask ourselves some tough questions. And so today I'm going to start with a question. I don't think it's all that tough. It's simply this. Have you ever noticed that some things get better with time. Have you ever noticed that some things get better with time? Pastor Benji started out the series calling us out. And maybe you remember this. He talked about taking a picture with an iPhone, right? Which is like immediate gratification. We get to see it. Or the old Polaroid cameras, right? You're, we, we, remember, we remember those. Remember him showing us that. I don't know about you, but like, I don't like waiting in lines. I, I hate lines. Like, don't tell me to be patient. I don't want to, right? Like, I hate I hate lines. But of course, getting something right away and it actually being the best thing for you are not the same thing, right? Like just because you can get a pizza at 2 a.m., right, doesn't mean it's the best thing for you, nor is it the best pizza, right? Like it probably, it probably isn't. Like the other night, I don't know why, I was sitting on the couch and I was watching the TV and there was a commercial for stuffed crust pizza. And it was like 11 o'clock, like it was late. And I look at my wife, I'm like, that looks awesome. And she looks at me like, what is wrong with you, right? Like, like under no circumstances is, is a stuffed crust pizza good for you at 11 p.m.? Probably not at 5 p.m., right? Like just because you can get something right away doesn't mean it's the best thing for you. Are you with me? Doesn't mean it's the best thing for you. Waiting, waiting is a discipline, and it often leads to God's best. Waiting is a discipline, and it often leads to God's best. Some of the best things in life are that way because of waiting, because of time. You've experienced this. We've all experienced this in one way or another. Relationships. Relationships can get better with time. Friendships can get better with time. Marriages can get better with time. Praise God, I'm better than when I first got married, right? Like my wife, there's, a, there's an amen somewhere. Like I'm better now than when we first got married. Stories. Have you ever noticed this? Stories get better with time, right? 
stories get better with time. They might have started out like this, and like after you've heard it for like the 20th time, it's like a really big story, and like somebody else got thrown into the mix, right? Like stories get better with time. New hope, right? New hope has gotten better over time, right? Who could have envisioned, right? When new hope was started, who could have envisioned we'd be welcoming in all of these campuses and all of us would be sitting here? If we invest money, right, we hope that our portfolio grows over time, right? Some foods, some foods get better with time. Have you ever had an aged steak, right? Like, gets better with time. Wine gets better with time. Cheese, some cheeses get better with time. If you want like a really good meal, you're going to marinate it, right? And you're going to set it aside for hours, maybe even days to let all that flavoring soak in. It's going to get better with time. If you've ever made a soup or a chili, right? Like it might be okay the first day, but give it two or three days and it's going to get better, right? Like you've, you know this, right? Whether on accident or not, you know this. But things don't automatically get better with time. You with me? Like time doesn't automatically make things get better. Like relationships, they don't get better with time on their own. In fact, on their own, relationships often get worse. We've, we've, we've seen this, right? Like there's a, there's a process for aging a steak, right? You, you don't just sort of like set it out on the counter and hope it gets better. Then it's just nasty. You with me? Right? Like you don't, you don't just sort of like set cheese out for a few days and hope that it's going to get better. The only thing you're going to get is a disease, right? Like there, there's a process. Things don't get better over time on their own. Why is it that some people over time get better and others get bitter? You, you, you've seen this, right? Why is it that over time, some people get better while others just simply get bitter? Time sim- somehow seems to magnify their brokenness. It's sort of like a, like a crack in a windshield. Like it started out small and over time it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? You, you, you've seen this in people. Maybe you've sometimes seen it in your own heart. There was a, a song whenever I was dating my wife in high school. It was called I'll Be by Edwin McCain. Does anybody remember this song? Maybe some of you do. There's a, there's, there's a line. It's a song. It's a love song. And he's saying, I'll be better when I'm older. I remember hearing it when I was dating my wife and thinking, man, I hope so. Because I'm really bad at this relationship thing now. Right? Like, I hope when I get older, I'm better. Like, the things I'm dealing with today, I don't want them to be my junk 10 years from now. Are you with me? Like, I don't want them to be my stuff that I'm dealing with a year from now. Like, I hope there's, like, new challenges and new ventures. There's bigger dreams that I'm, that I'm praying for and hoping for. Let me ask you today, what are you hoping for? What are the things that you are hoping for? Are there new things popped up on the horizon that you're beginning to hope for, but you just can't imagine waiting any longer? Are the things you're, you're hoping for, and it's been a really, really long time, and you're almost ready to give up hope? Are the relationships you're hoping for? Are you hoping that your life will count, that your life will matter? Are you hoping for a life of greater meaning for you, maybe for your family? If you're hoping for anything, I pray that, that you would hear Paul's words today because they're for you. In fact, I, I know they are for me. So the question for all of us today is when we hope, do we become better or do we become bitter? When we hope, do we become better or do we become bitter? Last week, we jumped into Philippians chapter 3 and we began venturing deep into it. It just happens to be my all-time favorite chapter in all the scriptures. And Paul is, he's crying out. He's saying, I want to go deep with God. 
He said, whatever it is that I could possibly experience in Jesus, I hope to experience. Whatever Jesus has gone through, I want to experience it because I want to know him to the fullest. I want to live into everything Jesus. That's where Paul was taking us. In fact, there's a, there's a verse in chapter 3. It's my life verse. I've, I've put it on a little, little bit of everything around my house and my office. It says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Paul said, I'm, I'm not already perfect. He, he, he goes to this long list of things he's hoping for. He says, I haven't gotten there. I'm not perfected. Paul's reminding us that we're never going to be fully perfected. We're never going to fully reach everything we hope for on this earth. There's some things we're going to have to wait for. But he said, but I still press on because I believe there's something that Jesus died for. There's something that he died for me for that I should live up to, that I get to live into. Paul would remind us that the cross matters. The, the, the cross happened, but we're not to heaven yet. Are you with me? That we were sort of in this in-between. We're in the waiting we're, we're in the waiting. We're, we're, we're past the cross, but we're not quite to heaven. In fact, as we live between the cross and heaven, Paul will teach us that how we wait matters. I want us to hang on to that today. As we live between the cross and heaven, Paul's going to tell us that how we wait, the way we spend the time in between, it matters. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 17 today. It's also going to be up on the screens. Verse 17, it says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, pay attention. Keep your eyes open to those who are getting it right. That's important. It's important for this reason. It goes on in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's why it's important to, to keep your eyes open to those who are getting it right. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's setting up this juxtaposition. So what does it look like to be an enemy of the cross? Like is Paul just talking about there's these overt people that are just kind of overtly attacking followers of Christ. It might be that. I mean, Paul did that himself before he met Jesus. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. In fact, I, Paul isn't saying that many are enemies of the cross, although that might have been true. He's saying many live as enemies of the cross. In other words, their way of living, the things that they're doing, is an enemy to what the cross is all about. So I think it's important for us to know what in the world he's talking about. You know what I mean? Because he's saying like their way of living, the things that they're doing, is an enemy to what the cross is all about. And if there's a way of living that's an enemy to the cross, I don't want to be about that. You know what I mean? So can we talk for a second about what, what, what this might be? Okay, so you might be offended a little bit, and I'm just going to put it out there. Like, it's okay, right? We, 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 need, we need to hear what this is all about. In fact, I'm going to put myself out there first, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw myself under the bus. I love to run, right? I, I mentioned that before. I love to run. There was a time whenever I was running a lot, I was probably running like up to 30 miles a week. And for those of you who don't run, you're like, well, that's a lot of miles. And for those who are like serious runners, they're like, yeah, I did that yesterday, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of in the middle, right? So it's, 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 it's a decent amount 
of miles. I love to run. It, for me, it's prayerful. It's healthy. It's a, it's a time where I get to think. I get to pray for my family. I get to pray for myself. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better leader. When I run, when I get a lot of miles, and I'm a better person because of it. But here's what I've realized about running. I, I've realized that if you can run three miles, you figure out that you can run four. And when you run four, you figure out that you can run five. And when you run five, six, six, seven, are you with me? Like the more you do it, the more you realize you can do more. And here's, here's the deal. Eventually running for me, for lots of people can no longer be about running, but just about hitting personal goals. And so the only thing that's actually getting better, like I'm not becoming a better leader anymore. I'm not becoming a better follower of Christ. I'm not becoming a better preacher. I'm not becoming a better husband or father. I'm just becoming a better runner. You with me? Now you're like, I don't care about running. What are you talking about? You've got to put this into your own context, okay? It's a metaphor. The more I run, the more miles I tag on, I'm no longer becoming a better person. I'm just becoming a better runner. And becoming a better runner at some point is going to pass away. There's things that we can build up for ourselves here on earth that are going to pass away. I think what Paul's saying is this. I think what Paul's saying is this. If the things we're doing, if our way of living isn't elevating us to Christ and elevating others around us, then our way of living is an actual, it's actually an enemy to the cross. Like the, we, we get one life and we should spend it building up things that are going to last. What's going to last our relationship with Jesus and the people around us who, who, are, who are awakened to the love of Christ. I, I think that's what Paul is saying. So we can build up all kinds of things for ourselves. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying running's bad, right? Like, I love running. It's something I love to do. But that's something I've learned for myself. What about you? Are there things that you can kind of build up? Like, I love to go home at night and watch TV, right? Like, I love to relax and just watch some TV. It's good for me to sort of unwind and shut my brain off for a minute. But I can watch TV for hours, right? And then it's no longer good. It's just, I'm just, I'm just my, my brain's turning to mush. Are you with me? Yes. Or the things I watch might not be good for me. They might not be edifying to me, right? So there's lots of things that we do. So often we're good at pointing out those things that are just overtly evil that we can put into our lives. But what about the things that seem good, right? There's a lot of good things out there, but when there's too much of them, they're actually not good for us. They're just passing away. It's just sort of a waste of our time. What about you, right? Like uh, families, like we can spend a lot of time. Like I, I know for myself, my girls are, are, in, are in different sports and hobbies. Like Sometimes it just seems like you're just finding yourself coming and going. You're running. You're dropping off kids here. You're dropping off kids there. You're, you're swapping. We can get really, really busy. We're really good at telling our kids what not to do, but are we good at telling them where they should be spending their time? To be spending their time on the things that are going to last, that are going to make them better, going to elevate people around them. Right? I think for us, Paul would say, why would you build up trophies for yourself here? Why would you give yourself trophies here when they're just passing away. That's why those of us that are followers of Christ, we can look at things that the world is doing and say, no, I don't need to spend my time on that. And we can look at things that the world doesn't understand and say, yes, that's going to get my time and my talents and my resources, right? Like someone might say to you, like, you give your money away to the church? Like, why? Right? Like to, to like someone who doesn't go to church or someone who's not a follower of Christ, that seems like a strange thing. Like you, you serve others? Like you get up early on a Sunday or you stay late on a Sunday to serve others? Why? Like why would you give of those things? And we, we would simply say, 
I can see something else. I can see something that's coming. I, I, know it's, I know it's a part of a bigger story that's taking place. Like I think of Noah and the flood, right? Just picture Noah in the middle of a desert, right? There's never been a boat because there's never been a need for a boat. And God comes along and says, no, I want you to build a really big one. And then he starts to build it. And the people around are like, no, what are you doing? Like, number one, what is that? And number two, like, what are you going to do with it? Like, there's not, there's not like, no, there's no water around here, right? And we don't get a lot of storms. Like, why are you building a boat? He would say, I see something that's coming, right? I see something that's coming ahead. Paul would say, we know how to build things that last. See, like, imagine, imagine, I think this is sort of the crux of, of this bitterness versus betterness thing. Imagine building up things, storing up things for yourself, enduring heartache and, and, and enduring hardship, and then it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. See, nearsightedness, catch this, nearsightedness is the precursor to bitterness. If the things you're building up for are just passing away, I think Paul would tell us that's the precursor to bitterness. Right? He, he, he says it pretty strongly. He says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. In other words, they're just living for today because their mind is set on earthly things. But he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're thinking about what, what's going to last then, what's going to last into eternity. In fact, let's keep reading verse 20. Verse 20, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they, they will be like his glorious body. In other words, he's saying thinking about the cross is forward-driven, right? It's thinking about the future. It's thinking about what's coming. Everything we put up with now, all the death we put up with, all the destruction, all the hardship, at some point is going to be fully Transform. We don't see all of it now. We, we get foretaste of it in the here and now. But at some point in the future, it's all going to be fully transformed. We have hope that everything someday will be different. We have hope that every day or everything at some point in the future will be different. But Paul says something that kind of gets under my skin. As I was looking at this passage and I was dissecting it and trying to figure out what it is that God might want to say to us, there was this one sort of quote or I guess a phrase that was sort of getting under my skin and bothering me. It's this line where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What in the world does it mean to eagerly await? Eagerly await. They seem like words that actually don't go together. Like when I picture eagerly awaiting, I picture like taking like five espresso shots and standing in line at the DMV, right? Like not, not a fun experience, right? Like it's I picture like drinking a bunch of big gulps at a stadium while watching a baseball game and then going to the restroom and there's a long line and there's like nowhere to go, right? Like neither picture is a fun thing. Like, Paul, what in the world do you mean by eagerly awaiting, right? Like eager seems like it's something you should be doing. There's, there's an action. There's a running. You're going after something. Awaiting is exactly the opposite. It's sitting and doing nothing, right? Like what in the world is eagerly awaiting, I think we've got we to figure it out. Because if we can figure it out, if we can understand what Paul is saying, I think this is the key. I think this is the key to actually not becoming bitter when we hope, but becoming better. I think it's the key to, to living a, a meaningful life. I think it's the key to life in Christ. Because Paul would, wants to teach us how we wait matters. So what does it mean to eagerly 
to eagerly await. I think it's this, at the crux of it, and then we're going to kind of spend the rest of our time looking at it more in depth. I think it's essentially this. It's pulling from what's coming and placing it in the here and now. We're looking ahead to what's coming, the transformation that's coming, and we pull something of it in the here and now. And then the opposite is true as well. It's taking the brokenness, the the hardship, the frustrations we have now and pushing them forward to the transformation. In essence, it's being here and being there, being there and being here. It's it's simple, right? (laughs) Very, very easy, right? You're probably confused. And as I was walking through Philippians, I'm like, Paul, you're ticking me off, right? Like, what do you mean? So... I, if, you, if you don't mind, I, I took from, from some other passages uh, throughout the, the New Testament to really dive deeply into this. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And there's at least three things that I think are going to uncover. What does it mean to eagerly await? And like I said, if we can uncover it, if we can get to the depths of it, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get the secret to, to getting better with time and not getting bitter when we hope. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 13 through 18. I'm just going to read those. They're not going to be on the screen just yet. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God's swearing by himself. There's no one greater. Saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God made him a promise. Abraham had to wait on it. He actually had to wait beyond himself because it wasn't fully realized until Jesus came. So the promise came after he was long gone. Verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is being said and puts an end to all the arguments. Just talking about how people would make an oath, a covenant with one another. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Catch this. Verse 18 is really important. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. In other words, God, God swore by his name because there was no greater name. And then he gave Abraham an oath. He made a covenant with Abraham and he did it by two unchangeable, unshakable things. His name and his word. Are you with me? He's swearing by his name and his word. He can't lie. He can't break it. It's unshakable. It's unchangeable. Here's why this is important. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And he has become the high priest forever. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So just a little bit of history. When a priest would, would go into the temple, the first thing they would do is they would make a sacrifice. So they would lay a sacrifice on the altar, and then they would go into the inner sanctuary, and they would sit in the presence of God, and they would receive forgiveness on behalf of all the people. They were standing in for all of the people when they would go into that inner sanctuary. When Jesus offers up himself, he offered up the once forever sacrifice right? Jesus was entering in the temple. He gave of himself. And then he goes into the inner sanctuary. He sits in the presence of God. Then he looks back at all of us and he says, they're with me. Are you with me? When the priest would go in, he would receive forgiveness for all of God's people. When Jesus goes in, he looks, he looks to his father and he says, all of them, they're with me. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that no matter 
how bad the world may seem, no matter the, the, the hurt, no matter the frustration, no matter what you're going through today, what you went through in the past, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that Jesus is up in heaven right now pleading on our behalf. In this moment, right now, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. He's saying, there with me. Yeah. Yeah. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that no matter what we see, we know there's a better story that's being written. Amen. So when Paul teaches us, here's the first thing. When Paul teaches us to eagerly await, he's saying that we who are followers of Christ embody hope. We embody hope. Hope. So it would be easy to be pessimistic, right? It would be easy to be a pessimistic person. When you look around and you see all the wars that are going on, when you look at politics in America right now, it would be incredibly easy to be pessimistic, right? Incredibly easy just to simply say, this is all there is. All of this is passing away. Let bitterness start to come in. And then you could just partake of whatever life's pleasures were because it doesn't really matter. It's just passing away, right? It would be easy to be pessimistic. A pessimist likes to think they're a realist. But here's the difference. A realist sees what is. A pessimist predicted it, <laughs> right? A pessimist said, I told you. I told you it was coming because they're always eventually right because bad things happen, right? They don't take credit when the good things happen. They're always eventually right. But a person of hope, I think it's more than an optimist. A person of hope is different, right? A person of hope, they're not a fool. A person of hope is not a fool. A fool ignores reality, right? Like the plane's going down and they order a martini, right? They're just sort of like, they're ignoring what's actually happening around them. But a person of hope sees what is and what could be. A person of hope not only sees what could be, but they actually think they can be a part of the solution. They think they can, they can see what, what is and what can be and that they should actually be a part of making the world a better place. In other words, a person of hope is a little crazy. Amen. Right? Because they look at how the world actually is right now. And then they say, you know what? This isn't all there is. It's, it's going to get better. And I'm, I'm going to make it better. In fact, at all of our campuses, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there are crazy people sitting in your midst, right? <laughs> Which is cool. Over in Garner, you have a campus pastor that actually believes that your campus can reach your entire town, right? It's crazy, right? How, how cool is that, right? In Sanford, you have a campus pastor that was given this task. Take a church that exists and a group from another church, put them together, and we're going to see what, what happens. And he said, sign me up. I'm, I'm up for it, and it's working, right? Which is really cool. And great things are happening, and it's just the beginning, over in North Raleigh, there was a life group that said, we don't want to just be a life group. We want to be a campus, which is a little crazy, right? They were just sort of sitting around the room one night and said, you know what? What if there were more people that were sitting here than just those of us that are sitting in this living room today? And then there was a campus pastor named Mitch Cartwright that said, I'll take on this renegade life group, and we're going to do something better. You guys are sitting there today. And then there was a guy named Aaron McClurg, and he's the campus pastor down in Columbia. And he said, Send me to this empty building in the middle of Columbia. It's set empty for a number of years. And he said, I think that we can fill that place up. We can do multiple services and we can do great things and people are going to find Jesus. And you guys are witnessing it today. All of us that are sitting here at Central and up in the coffee house, if it wasn't for two people named Benji Kelly and Amy Lynn Kelly, we wouldn't be sitting here today, right? Like, thank God for crazy people, right? Thank God for crazy people. 
If, uh, if you're a, a lady sitting in CCIW, you are watching us, you're joining us because a group of women said, you know, we see a better future for them. We see a better future for them. If you're, if you're watching this online, there was a group of people one day that said, what if people could meet Jesus online, Amen. right? And you're doing it right now. Thank God for crazy people. And I didn't even mention the countless volunteers and staff every Sunday and every week who make all of this happen. They're a little crazy. Thank God for them, right? They're people who they see what is, And then they see what could be, and they say, I want to be a part of making that difference. In other words, they embody hope. They embody hope. A lot of us spread hope like like we visit the ocean, right? You've seen this. There's like people, and they're envisioning when they would go to the beach, they walk on the beach. They pick up seashells, and they throw them in the ocean, and that's fun. Now, I'm I'm offending some of you. Don't be offended. It's just a joke, right? (laughs) When I go to the ocean, I'm looking out and I'm like, there's an ocean out there and I want to get into it, right? Like, I want to surf. I've tried surfing. I'm horrible at it. I, I, I want to jet ski. Have you ever jet skied on the ocean? Like, one of the like, coolest things you will ever do. I want to go deep sea fishing. When I look at the ocean, I'm not looking at the beach. I'm looking at the ocean. I wonder if we started spreading hope like it was a boundless ocean, right? Like, we just, we, the, the world needs people that look at the world and say, this is not all there is. It's going to get better. They need they, the people. There's people around you today, tomorrow when you go to work, who need someone who looks at them and says, I see who you are, but I, I, don't, think that's the, I don't think that's the end of the story. I see something better in you. I, we embody hope. You see, when you embody hope, you take what's here, the brokenness, the short-sightedness, the hurt, the anger, and you push it forward into what's coming tomorrow. Are you with me? You take, you take all this brokenness and you say, uh, this might be what's here today, but I see something coming better down the road tomorrow. I'm going to push it into that transformation that's coming. You embody hope. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is Paul speaking again. First couple of verses aren't going to be on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access, right? We have gained access. In other words, we get to go into the presence of God, into that inner sanctuary because Jesus has gone ahead of us, right? We gain access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice in the sufferings. Sounds like a crazy thing to say. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Character, hope. You see, when Paul tells us to eagerly await, he wants us to see what's happening while we wait. In other words, the great things are taking place in the waiting. Because, of course, like I said earlier, some of the best things in life come about through the waiting. I like food. I'm going to talk about food again, if that's okay with you. Anybody else like food in here? Like, you're just, yeah, okay. All right, so it's, it's pretty common, right? Before moving to North Carolina, I could care less about barbecue. Like, I just, I just, I didn't care, right? I would never order it at a restaurant. The only way I would eat it is if somebody made it for me. Like, I just didn't care about barbecue. And then I moved to North Carolina, all right? And then I, somebody said, well, have you tried East Carolina barbecue? And I'm like, it's probably like all the others. Like, it's not going to be that good, but I'll, I'll try it. And someone said, you need to go to the pit. Have you been to the pit? 
Now, I know those of you down in, in Columbia, you, maybe you haven't been to the pit, but you need to try. In fact, I, I called your worship leader this week, and I was like, what kind of barbecue does South Carolina eat? Because, like, it's Carolina, so you probably eat barbecue. Evidently, there's a mustard-based sauce. I haven't tried it yet. You can make it for me and send it to me, all right? But one day, I went to the pit, because I was like, evidently, the pit's been on, like, the Food Network. Like, it's a pretty legit place. Like, I need to go check this out. And I was eating it, fell in love with it. I've decided that East Carolina barbecue is probably the most tasteful thing you will ever put in your mouth, all right? Like, ever. It's, it's that good, all right? And if you're from Texas or somewhere else, I'm sorry. I'm on the stage. You can't argue with me. All right. So East Carolina barbecue, all right? Someone here tried to, and I, I cut them off. So... All right, East Carolina barbecue. So one day, another day, after I visited the pit several, several times, I was sitting there, and a guy walks by that I noticed. He was actually a new hoper, and he was wearing a chef's outfit, so I kind of like flagged him down and started talking to him. And Darrell, Darrell Brown is actually the executive chef. He's sitting here today, so you guys feel free to give him a, a round of applause. There you go. And so I, I went over to him, talked to him. Like, I, I didn't know a new hoper was the executive chef at the pit. And so... Knowing I was preparing this message, I said, Would you, can, you, like, can you share with me some of the secrets? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, is it okay if I share it on stage? Because a lot of people are going to hear this. And he said, yeah, sure. So I was curious to know the process of making East Carolina barbecue at the pit. Because, like, again, it's, like, it's been on the Food Network. It's evidently pretty legit. And you don't get food like that by microwaving it. Are you with me? Like, that doesn't happen. So I was curious to know the steps that go into making East Carolina barbecue. So I want to share them with you. All right? And evidently, there's, like... Four steps before you ever even get to the food, which I thought was interesting. So step one, some of you came just for this today. Believe it or not, God's word from the pit. <laughs> step one, clean out the pit. So before great things can happen, you evidently have to clean out the old. Some of you just came to hear that. Like you, can just, you can just hang on to that, all right? You have to get rid of all the old. There's, there was this long process of brushing and scraping and cleaning and removing. Darrell probably knows all about that. Step one, clean out the pit. If you needed to hear that, you, you're welcome to go now. All right. Step number two, load the coals. There's evidently 40 pounds of charcoal, and there's this whole process for stacking it properly. Step three, light the coals, and then you have to let it sit for about 30 minutes after you've like already gone through this whole process, right? So you're probably at least an hour in. Step four, you have to spread the coals. There's a special way you have to spread them so that all the, 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 the flavoring from the coals goes up into the, to the whole hog. Step five, okay, now we're finally there. Prep the grill grates, and then you put the hog on the grill. I should mention, if you're a vegetarian, you can just act like we're making a salad here, all right? This is different. Just, just translate it to like croutons and vinaigrette, and you'll be, you'll be good. All right. Thanks for leaving more barbecue for me. All right. Step six, adjust the heat, add coals and wood. So you're just more heat, more, more, more flavoring that's going in. Step number seven, seven, let it cook for 10 hours. For 10 hours, right, in this, in this, in this grill, in this smoker. And there was a line in the, in the, the manual that, that Darrell gave me. I, I, listen to this. One serious mistake that cooks will make is to overanalyze the hog while it cooks. Like a pot that won't boil, a hog will never cook if it's watched too closely. I like that. Then it goes on, relax a bit, you've done your job, let the hog cook, right? Some of you came for that. In other words, wait. Amen. You've prepped, you've done all you can do, don't tamper with it. If you speed it up, it's not going to be as good. There's flavoring that's happening in the waiting, right? There's, there's just natural juices, natural flavorings that are just happening while you're waiting, and you can't speed up the process. Step number eight 
Sorry, vegetarians. Chopping. Again, th- those are your croutons, all right? Step nine, season. There's nine ingredients that, that come in, all right? Step 10, you serve or you store it. And then the Food Network comes because it's so amazing, right? Ten steps to get there, and there's hours upon hours upon hours to get there. You don't get food like that by microwaving. And there's this whole process that goes into it, and you can't get there without all that came before. In other words, when Paul says when we eagerly await, he wants us to see the flavoring in the waiting. When we eagerly await, Paul wants us to see all that's taking place, all the flavoring. In other words, we're getting better, right? We're getting better while we wait. We just read in Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So the next time you sit down to devour East Carolina barbecue, think about the entire process that went into that one single bite, right? I wonder if in our lives, the things we were hoping for, we would look at them like that process. Like, I'm not waiting, I'm just getting better. Right? I, I wonder, like, what are, what are you, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? Because how you wait matters, right? Like, you can't tamper with it. You can't speed it up. There's just some things you're going to have to wait for. Like, I wonder while you're waiting on that relationship, are you getting better? While you're waiting on that dream job, are you getting better? While you're waiting on your circumstances to change, are you getting better? So I think there's a lot of times we say to God, like, God, when, when you bring that one thing about in my life, then I'll be able to lead the kind of life I want to lead, right? Like, you, you've said that. We've all said it. God, when you change my circumstances, then I'll live like the person you want me to be. And I think God is saying to us, I'm giving you this time to develop. Amen. I'm giving this, you this time that your character would run ahead of your situations. Right? God never wants our character to lag behind what it is that he brings into our lives. I wonder how our waiting would change if we saw all the flavoring that was taking place while we're waiting. All the good things that are happening while we're waiting. Like we would treat people now the way we want to treat people whenever we meet that person. Right? Like we would lead now the way we hope we lead whenever we step into that job that we want. Like I'm going to be the person I want to be when my circumstances come about now. Like, I'm not going to wait until I get there. I'm going to start doing it now. In this way, you're not waiting. You're just flavoring, right? You're just getting better. Some things can't be rushed. I wonder how our waiting will change. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Here's the third part. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Let me read it one more time. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. In other words, hope doesn't disappoint us because we have God's Spirit living inside of us. We're not there yet, but God gives us a foretaste of what's coming in his Holy Spirit. He gives us his love to come and dwell inside of us. It's a foretaste of all that's coming Ahead. In other words, the Holy Spirit reaches forward into that transformation that's coming, the transformation that Paul talks about in Philippians 3, and the Holy Spirit brings a foretaste of it into the here and the now. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was cooking alongside 
Brian Fuller. Now, a lot of you guys here at Central know Brian Fuller is our worship arts pastor who often leads here. He's leading up in the coffee house today. And he's a chef. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but he's a chef. I was cooking alongside of him. And while I'm cooking alongside of him, I noticed he's tasting everything. And then he tasted it again. And then he tasted it again. And then as I'm standing there and I'm looking because I'm like, I, I kind of want to taste, right? He started like, he would walk over to me with a spoon, like, try this. Or he'd like, hand me, like, try this. There was all these foretaste of the meal that was coming. And I, I was really hungry. <laughs> but I didn't mind waiting because these foretastes let me know what, what, were, what were coming. Are you with me? And it, and it was awesome when it came. <laughs> But I didn't mind waiting because I knew what was coming. Paul shows us that eagerly awaiting means we savor the foretaste of what's coming. We savor the foretaste of what's coming. Hope, longing, waiting, it doesn't disappoint us because we know what's coming. C.S. Lewis said this. I love this. It's brilliant. He says, about death, I go through different moods, but the times when I can desire it are never those when the world seems the harshest. In other words, he says, I, I don't want death. I never want it. But he says, I, I think I want it the least when the world seems the worst. Kind of interesting. He says, on the contrary, it's just when there seems to be the most of heaven already here that I come nearest to longing for the heavenly homeland. All joy emphasizes our pilgrim status. Always reminds, beckons, awakes desire. I love this last line. Our best havings are wantings. Our best havings are wanting. He's saying, I, I want to be there most fully when I experience the foretaste here. Paul would teach us to savor the foretaste that come our way. That our greatest possession here is longing for what we've already tasted. And we receive that in the, in the Holy Spirit. We don't just look ahead. We actually learn to live fully now. We learn to savor what comes our way now. You see, when we do God's work now... We step into his foretaste. When we say no to those things whose end is destruction, and we say yes to those things that are going to be living on into eternity, we are saying yes to the foretaste. When we stand together at our campuses and we worship together, foretaste. When we serve one another, foretaste. When we do life together, it's a foretaste. When we risk on behalf of others, it's foretaste. You see, what we come to discover is that not only do we experience the foretaste that the Holy Spirit brings, but that we are actually the foretaste for the world. If the Holy Spirit is bringing foretaste, something of what is coming into the here and now, and he lives inside of us, we are the foretaste for the world. Are you following me? When we love when we get it right, when we're following Jesus here and out in the world, we bring foretaste of what's coming to the world. People won't know why, but they just want to be around us. They're like, I don't know why, but I just feel better when I'm around them. I don't, I don't know why, but I always feel better when I leave them. I don't know why, but I, I feel like they have something that I need and I want. We become foretaste for the world. Paul would teach us to savor those foretastes because not only does it remind us that we don't become disappointed in the hope, but we bring hope to those around us. We embody hope. We embody hope. I want to invite us to stand together at all of our campuses. Let's stand together. Let me read this one more time and 
If it helps you to, to, to take it in, to close your eyes, feel free to do that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. May we wait differently. May we see that in waiting, we're getting better. May those around us actually be pushed forward into what's coming. That the, the brokenness that they see, the brokenness that they feel, they actually sense hope within us and it's getting pushed forward into what's coming. And may we actually take something of what's coming and place it in the here and now. I mean, I, I wonder... What will it look like for you to eagerly wait? Will you get better or bitter? And if you're becoming better, how will the world around you become better because of it? Let's pray. Father God, Father, thank you for your son. We always have to start there. God, thank you for a different story. The death never has the last word. God, all the, the fears and all the frustrations, anything and everything we can experience while waiting, it never has the last word. As Paul would remind us today, the transformation is coming. A better story is coming. And the better story is actually being written here and now. We may not see it all, but God, it's getting better. You're doing your work here and now. Hope doesn't disappoint us because you've given us your spirit who's transforming us, who's making us better, who's changing us. Changing us so that we can encounter relationship with you. But not only that, but we can elevate others around us to encounter relationship with you as well. God, would you take our broken pieces? God, would you take the fragments of our lives? God, when we get frustrated, when we get tired from the waiting, may we see that we're actually getting better, that you're doing work in us that, we, that couldn't come about any other way. God, would you take these broken fragments and do something beautiful with them? God, do what only you can do and change lives in us and through us. God, as we lift up your name in this moment, would you be glorified? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.